0: You are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Propaganda 2. Hello, my radio friends. I'm so pleased you've joined me for another program in the Give Me the Bible series today. This program is a follow-on from what was presented earlier, where I shared with you some information that seriously discredits the theory of evolution. Now, you probably know that it's widely accepted that man is supposed to have come from apes. It's frequently said on various nature programs, that man's nearest relatives are the apes. They, according to the teachings of evolution, are our ancestors. There are several reasons for that idea. Firstly, there is a similarity in body structure. Secondly, it's said that the DNA of man and chimpanzees is similar. And thirdly, that apes have the ability to use tools. But before proceeding any further, I want to share with you the results of studies to determine the genetic similarities between chimpanzees and human genomes. In 1975, the similarity was claimed to be 99%. Then it was revised to 98.5, later to 94, and in 2005 it was stated to be 70%, although some results differ based on the methods used. Mice and humans have about a 90% similarity, but with that thought in mind that man came from monkeys, evolutionists have experimented in trying to breed an ape-man. It was thought that if it would be possible to mate an ape with a human, the result would be an ape-man and thus prove beyond any doubt that man came from apes and that evolution would be confirmed to be true. An internationally respected Russian scientist, Ilya Ivanov, professor of animal husbandry was in the forefront to try to prove this theory. In 1924, Ivanov completed his first experiment in French Guiana in Central Africa. He first attempted to produce human-male with chimpanzee-female hybrids. All attempts failed. Ivanov then tried to use ape-male and human-females to produce hybrids, but that too was unsuccessful. In 1926, without their knowledge or consent, Ivanoff attempted to inseminate several African women with chimpanzee sperm in a Congo hospital. Again, the experiments failed. No pregnancies ever occurred, whether the recipients were chimpanzees, orangutans or human females. After Ivanov's death in nineteen thirty two, other attempts to produce an ape human hybrid have been conducted. All have failed. Of course, there are ethical issues involved in such, such experiments, and I personally am disgusted that in order to try to produce to prove their theory. That for almost a century scientists would go to such lengths as to try to produce an ape-human hybrid. But in every case the attempts to produce an ape-human hybrid have failed. So does that mean that the theory of evolution is also a failure? In the biblical record of origins in Genesis one twenty-four. The Bible says, And God made the beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, a kind does not refer to a species. A kind is like the grouping for, say, horses, donkeys, and zebras. And another one, cats, big and small make up a kind. So tigers, lions, pumas, leopards, cheetahs, servals and domestic cats, for example, all are a kind. Monkeys and man may share some similarities, just as cats and dogs do, but they are not the same kind. Man was a special creation. And although man is a mammal... Man is separate to apes, and the experiments to produce an ape-man have demonstrated that. The Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Man was created as a higher order. Another tenet of evolution is that things evolve toward a more perfect state of being. I find that most strange because of the simple reason that if fish turned into reptiles, for example, why are there still fish in the world? If monkeys became man, why are there still monkeys? If reptiles became feathered birds, why are there still reptiles? Last week I mentioned what evolutionists claim as the modus operandi of evolution and they say it is mutation. The late Professor Ernest Mayer of the prestigious Harvard University in USA wrote, mutation is the source of the raw materials and hence evolutionary change and without mutation all evolution would stop. Mutation is where there are changes in the genes. People who breed roses, birds and such things are aware that if a white rose or say for a bird is given genetic material from a red rose or bird that'll end up with perhaps a pink rose or bird or maybe one with two colours mixed. But in each case, more genetic material is not added. If it was, it might be that possible to breed a poppy from a rose or a kookaburra from a sparrow. Usually with mutations, genetic material is lost. I'll say that again. Usually, genetic material is lost resulting in an inferior product. Mutations are hardly ever beneficial. So, in reality, what's happening? Are there new kinds of plants and creatures being formed? Are existing plants and creatures forming without human intervention? Are existing plants and creatures improving? rather than simply adapting to environmental change is there evidence of intermediate spacing species forming well the honest answer is no but there is change change that i prefer to call devolution the changes are not for the better the changes are negative Instead of gaining more genetic material, there's a loss of genetic material, resulting in offspring that is less perfect than its parents. In each new generation of humans, an estimated 100 to 200 new deleterious mutations affect the average child. That means that with each generation the number of harmful mutations increases and they always increase and never decrease. Have you ever wondered why so many people in these modern times die of cancer compared to several generations ago? Have you ever wondered why there's a much higher incidence of autism, attention deficit deficiency and intolerance to nuts? I would like to suggest to you that mutation is probably the answer. Downward mutation, that is. When God created the world and what's in it, he pronounced it as very good. Since that time, there's been a genetic deterioration, and whether we like it or not, we have been affected by it and are the products of it. It also means that as time marches on, the human race will become even more physically and mentally substandard. Hypothetically, if life as we know it should continue for, say, 100,000 years, given what has been happening genetically, humanity would be a collection of sick, feeble, Mentally incompetent wrecks. The evolutionary propaganda that things are evolving to a more perfect state is just not true. What does happen is totally opposite to the message the evolutionists want us to believe. Instead of getting more and more perfect, things, including humans, are getting worse and worse. Evolution is fiction dressed up to appear factual, dressed up to appear to be plausible and dressed up as science. The so called evidences to prove the veracity of evolution are sadly lacking. Now I would like to share with you something you may have never heard about. It has been another fruitless attempt to show that evolution is plausible. It is known as the Ancon Sheep Blunder. I'm going to stop here and we'll go on straight afterwards.
1: He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He He lives, He lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives, He lives. I see His love and care. And though my heart grows weary, I never will despair. I know that He is leading through all the stormy blast. The day of His appearing will come at last. He He lives, He lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives he lives, he lives. he lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives. He lives with.
0: I'm going to talk to you now about the Ancon sheep blunder. Oxford University professor Dr Wilma George hailed the Ancon sheep as a good example of evolution. So let's hear what happens. Textbooks and articles implied that the Ancon sheep breed was an example of how a major new trait or even a new species could involve in a single generation. The Ancon sheep example was once used as a proof of Darwinism, but it is now recognised that what happened to the Ancon sheep was a result of a genetic disease called androchondroplasia. This so-called new breed of sheep, had so many health problems that it became extinct decades ago. Yet it has been mentioned in textbooks as evidence for evolution right up until recent times. So what's the story behind this fraud? In 1791, a Massachusetts farmer, Seth Wright, noticed one male short-legged lamb in his flock. Now being short-legged was an advantage to a farmer as the sheep which he named as otter sheep were unable to jump fences because of their stubby legs. Other advantages to a farmer were that the sheep could not run and that they put on more weight quickly and that fences being lower would be cheaper to construct. Seth Wright used the mutated sheep to breed more, and by 1813 the Royal Society announced a new breed of sheep, the Ancon breed. When Charles Darwin heard about this unusual breed of sheep, he gleefully announced that this was evolution in action, and the Ancon sheep became an icon of evolution. It was hailed as a beneficiary mutation, an improvement on normal sheep, but that proved not to be the case. The majority of dwarf lambs produced by breeding the Ancon sheep died before reaching two months of age. Ancon sheep had serious health problems. post mortems showed that the Ancon sheep had abnormal spines and skulls. They had flabby muscles, looser leg joints, slow limb growth, and inward bent forelegs, making them appear lame as they tried to walk. Because of the mutations that were responsible for the Ancon sheep were deleterious, that is, they were negative, the sheep had serious health problems and all have died out. Not a single one exists today. Contrary to the belief as expressed by Darwin that this was evolution in action, the Ancons showed the opposite. It was devolution, where instead of becoming more perfect, they became more imperfect, resulting in their complete disappearance and an embarrassment for the evolutionists. Yet, despite the collapse of the theory about upward improvement, Ancon sheep are still quoted as evidence for evolution. You know, one must question the sanity of people who completely disregard the real evidence and persist in maintaining and expounding ridiculous ideas such as this one regarding the Ancon sheep. I want you to carefully evaluate what I'm about to tell you right now. Not everyone knows this, but we have fairies living at the bottom of our garden. We know they're there, although we haven't seen any. We haven't found any activity like food scraps left around, damaged plants or little tracks. There are no footprints and we haven't found any dead bodies. We did find some little bones once, but they turned out to be the bones of a bird the neighbour's cat had caught and ate in our garden, and later became covered with leaves. We haven't heard any fairy noises, and there have not been any remnants of any fairy clothing caught in any bushes. We can't prove to you that we have fairies at the bottom of our garden, but we know that they're there. We keep looking for them, but they must hear us coming and hide. We keep on trying to find evidence of them, but so far have not had any real success. As well as that, my wife and I both took a university course on fairyology, and it was very scientific. I especially enjoyed the course as I like science. The course gave the life cycle of fairies and how they have improved over the years and the course was most enlightening. So you see, we know we have fairies at the bottom of the garden, and we know they're all different colours and we keep looking for them, but so far we haven't come across any. Do you believe this story? Well, I am going to tell you it's about as believable as the theory of evolution, where the evolutionists keep clutching at straws hoping to get some concrete evidence to substantiate that what they postulate is true. But each time, they end up disappointed. They maintain that evolution is plausible. <laughs> About as plausible as the account that we have fairies living in the bottom of our garden. Finally today, I want to expose another evolutionary myth one of the most important teaching of evolution of evolution sorry is that only the fittest of spe- species survive and the most attractive or the most fit individuals are chosen for breeding let me explain as is seen on different nature programs The narrator will often speak about females only choosing partners for mating that are the fittest or have the most beautiful song, dance, plumage, etc. For example, a female bowerbird observes the bower of a prospective male mate. Sometimes she might hop down to the bower for a closer inspection which is usually interpreted by the male bower bird as an invitation to mate. At other times the female go elsewhere, until, in the narrator's words, she is satisfied that that particular male is more suitable for mating. This process is described in Darwinian terms as preferential breeding although it has little to do with survival of the fittest. Darwin proposed that preferential breeding brought about colourful birds like the birds of paradise and peacocks. Central to evolutionist teaching on this issue was the resplendent tail display of peacocks. But Darwin had a problem. The heavy Clumsy, albeit brightly coloured, tail of the peacock reduces the chance of survival, making peacocks more vulnerable to predators. Darwin, although puzzled by the need for peacocks having a brightly coloured, attractive tail, came up with this statement. He said, Sexual sele- selection depends not on a struggle for existence, but on a struggle between males for the possession of the females. Darwin's theory is widely accepted and may sound plausible, but recent studies involving careful and thorough observation have found that a more colourful tail of a peacock does not give it any advantage over its less colourful rivals. One recent study conducted in the University of Tokyo found that peahens were just as likely to mate with more drably coloured males. The study concluded that peahens expressed no preference whatever for more brightly coloured males. Big antlers in deer, big size in cattle, brightly coloured plumage in birds is no guarantee for sexual selection as evolutionists try to make us believe. Therefore, one may conclude that evolutionist teachings are mere conjecture, a fraud that the general public is expected to believe. My personal belief of why such brightly coloured birds and so on exist is that God has a sense of humour and a profound sense of beauty. I hope that what I've shared with you in these two programs about propaganda will make you question the readily available evolutionist propaganda and help make you understand that the Bible account of origins is much more worthy of your consideration. There are many other evolutionist theories and teachings that could yet be exposed as frauds, but I hope the samples I've presented will be sufficient for you to understand that evolutionist teachings are not worthy of your attention. So, until next time, my friends, I wish you God's blessings and much joy and peace.